The title of this message is Be a Jesus Freak. What will people do? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, many of us are afraid to speak out and to stand out and stand up. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that tonight you would strike something inside of our hearts, Lord, we'd have that passion, Lord, we'd be changed, transformed, Lord, that we'd become a new person in you, not discarding our personality, but with our characteristics, we would be empowered for service through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to always meet here with us, whether we're faithful or not, and we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd fill us, Lord, afresh today. We pray these things, Lord, for your own sake, for your glory, and for your kingdom, that we could be bold, a generation called aside, sanctified for you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Not everyone wants to be popular, but no one wants to be a freak. Here's the proof of that. Not every one of you dressed up today. Why is that? There's something inside of us that doesn't want to be an outcast, that doesn't want to be a freak. Something inside of us that doesn't want to be noticed in a negative way. All of us have a desire to be admired by at least one person. Not all people, but you might not want to be the most popular person, but you do want to be admired, period. And because of that, that'll, depending on who you admire the most, that's going to control how you dress, how you act, how you speak out on certain things. That's going to dictate your entire life. Why? Because you want to please a person. You want to be admired. And so if you want to be in the wacky crowd, you're going to dress really wacky so you can be admired by the wacky people. And if you want to be cool and hip, you're going to dress cool and hip so you can be with the cool and hip people. But no one wants to be a freak, no matter who you are. No one wants to be the guy with the third arm. No one wants to be the guy that has wings. I don't know, I guess that doesn't really happen. But As you follow the Lord, I think it might seem, your life might seem very strange to the people around you. Call me crazy. But if you're transformed from the inside out, like that song we just sang, if you're transformed in your heart, it's going to show in your actions. How? You're going to start suddenly be transformed by the Holy Spirit. So you're going to be talking about Jesus to the people that you never talked to before. You might put down some of the things that you were used to doing. You might have been doing drugs and suddenly you're like, well, this doesn't really uh, have any, anything to do with my relationship with Jesus. So I need to put those things aside. You might be talking a certain way and your language suddenly changes because you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're afraid of looking weird, if you're afraid of looking like a Jesus freak, 
You just have to look at the Bible to realize you're in good company. Did you know that? In the Bible, we have some weird people. John the Baptist ate locusts. Jesus once healed a blind man by spitting in his eyes. And then the prophet Isaiah, if you remember, he was prophesying running around naked and he ate bread that was cooked over poop. I don't make this stuff up. It's in the Bible. So it's okay to feel like you don't fit in. It's okay to feel like you're an outcast sometimes. In fact, I, what I'm proposing to you today is it's expected of believers not to eat bread cooked over poop. That's just, that's, that is not okay. What's even funnier is that there's a, I don't know if you've ever eaten this uh, cereal called Ezekiel 1720 cereal, something like that. I forget the actual reference. You can get at uh, Wegmans. And it's like the Lord's natural recipe for bread that was in the Bible and it's like prescribed by God and this is the only natural way to grow. And it doesn't continue because the next verse is that verse where Isaiah takes that recipe and cooks it over human dung. So if you want the full recipe, I guess that's what you got to try too. But anyway, that's a tangent. Christians will always be misfits in the world because this world is not our home. That's the theme of this retreat that we're going on. This world is not our home. We're only travelers. We're sojourners. So your challenge is, will you be conformed to the world or transformed by Jesus? Will you allow yourself to try to fit in the world's mold or will you, will you allow yourself to be remolded from the inside out by Jesus Christ? And that might mean that you're worthless in the world. In the eyes of the world, you're going to be someone that's useless. The world will mourn over you like they did with Moses. Moses had everything going for him. He was supposed to be, you know, he was in Pharaoh's court and he was, you know, a high-ranking official, and then what happens? He was like, I want to find out my Jewish roots. I want to find my family heritage. He left, and he met Jesus, and he was never the same. Paul, he was one of the Sanhedrin. He was a priest, and he had all this knowledge, and he was going to be, he was going to be used so mightily in the world's kingdom, but then Jesus grabbed a hold of him, and he was never the same. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Do you want to be considered important by the world or by God? Are you willing to be called a Jesus freak? Are you willing to be awkward sometimes for other people to look at you and say, what's wrong with that person? And I would say this to you to to pay attention to tonight's sermon. Because many of you are not living that kind of life. Maybe you think that you're a Jesus freak, but really, what do you do? You like go on Facebook and you have like, you know, your religion is labeled as Christian or Jesus lover. And that's your like byline. What are you doing to stand out in this world, this crooked generation for the name of Jesus? If we're not even willing to be awkward around each other, we're not even willing to be outcasts amongst each other and to do things that are sometimes embarrassing and it looks foolish, then how will we do that in a world that thinks that everything we do is foolish? How will you stand up for, for what Jesus says and what for the Bible says on morals when the entire world, the majority of the world, is all for same-sex marriage and, and homosexuality? And for you to have this other view, it's like you're, you're weird. 
How could you have that kind of view? Where do you get your morality from? You see, if you're not willing to be a freak in some ways, to be labeled a Jesus freak, you're going to try to change it and try to twist it and be like, well, it's really not that bad. You know, no, Jesus is still cool. Jesus is still all right with everybody. And here's why. Let me show you the Bible and show how it's really not that big. Of a, I mean, it's, it's a sin, but it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, we're all sinners, right? And we won't stand up for what is right because we're more concerned about looking good in others' eyes. So we're going to talk about three types of freaks that we're called to be as Christians. Now, it doesn't actually specifically say these types of freaks uh, right there in Romans, but this is just an easier way of remembering it, and then you can decide for yourself if it's a good tool. But in Romans, it says in the first verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? You present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The first freak that we're supposed to be as Jesus freaks is to be a zombie. Be a zombie for Jesus. What is a sacrifice? Someone raise your hand and you tell me, what is a sacrifice? When he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what is a sacrifice? Yes, Marcus. What's that? Give your body away. For what? What happens to your body? Anybody? Think about Old Testament. What did they do with sacrifices? What happened to them? Yes. They burned them. They died. They're gone. So in the Old Testament, we know that sacrifices was killing of animals for the atonement of sin. You know, you need to atone for your sins. This was in the law. So you took a lamb and you killed it on the altar. You sacrificed it and it was dead. Your sins were covered. But interestingly enough, Paul doesn't say to offer yourselves as a sacrifice. He doesn't say go kill yourselves. That would be terrible, first of all. But he says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Why is this? Why does he say a living sacrifice? Well, I would say to you that it's because God doesn't want you to offer an event in your life. He wants you to offer your entire life. Christianity is not an event. It's the offering of one's life unto God. And that's the picture of the altar. The altar is a picture of surrender, saying, I'm taking my life I'm placing it on the altar as if I were dead. But you're not really dead. You're still alive. This is where the picture of a zombie comes in because zombies are the living dead, right? In the same way you're living people walking amongst a world that you've died to. You've died to those customs. You've died to those rules. You've died to those habits. Now, the, the disciple P Peter once said to Jesus, Jesus I'd be willing to die for you. I'd do anything. I'd do anything for you, Jesus. I would die for you. And Jesus said to him, you might, and this is a paraphrase, you might be willing to die for me, but you can't even live for me. In fact, the end of this day, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Christianity is not just about the day that you die and what did you do on the day that you die. It's not about one event, you got saved, you prayed a prayer, and it's over. It's a lifelong process. Continually staying on the altar, continually sacrificing yourself and saying, I'm dying to myself every single day, dying to those customs. Why? Why do I even do that? 
oftentimes people are just confused by uh, this event-minded Christianity. And because of that, they'll pray the sinner's prayer and they'll feel no need to change their lifestyle. Or they'll, they'll figure, maybe I can have sex before I get married and then uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to continue doing what I, I like to do because it's not that big of a deal. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, it's kind of like a murderer praying the sinner's prayer and then continuing to kill people. It's like, I'm just going to pray once and it's, it's over. It doesn't work that way. But uh, why should Christians be a living sacrifice? Well, he actually says right there, he says, it's your reasonable service. What does that mean, reasonable service? It says, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Well, if you read Romans at all, any time in your life, you'll have the first 11 chapters that Paul explains, basically, that if you trust in Jesus, you're free from sin and death. You have forgiveness of your sins. You have the promise that everything's working together for good to those who love God. You have a helper in all afflictions and trials. And you have certainty that nothing's ever going to separate you from the love of God. So he says, if God is willing to do all these things for you, if Christ himself suffered to redeem our lives, don't we owe him a life of gratitude? Don't we owe him our lives in an attitude of thanks toward him? It's kind of like we treat this sometimes like there's a guy and let's say he, he goes into a burning building to rescue some, some people and he rescues those people, brings them out, saves their lives. And then those people are like, man, I'm so thankful. I'm going to write him a thank you card. And then that's it. They just kind of move on with their lives. Is that the appropriate amount of thanks? I don't think so. But some of, us, some of us Christians treat God like that. Like we can just say, thanks God, and then move on with our lives. But 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So how can we apply this to our life? How can we apply this living sacrifice idea? How can we be zombies for Jesus? Well, to be a living sacrifice, our bodies must be pure before the Lord. You can't offer a sacrifice without things burning. In the same way, when you take silver and you refine it in a fire, all the impurities are taken away. Uh, D.L. Moody said that uh, one time. He said, God doesn't seek for golden vessels and doesn't ask for silver ones, but he must have clean ones. I know that people don't like to talk about purity, especially when you're in youth group. It just really, I don't know. It just sounds so lame. Like purity seminars and purity rings. And you just imagine these like really flowery people that just like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem manly, especially us guys. I don't know about how you girls think about about purity, you're probably like, oh my gosh, I want to be pure. But guys are like, purity, I want to be like, you know, you think of guys like wrestling in the mud and you think of like, I don't know, monster trucks and anyway, especially pure zombies. That doesn't really make any sense, right? But maintaining sexual sanctification is more than just attending purity seminars. And it's more than just not having sex before marriage. But purity encompasses your entire life. Some people feel like they can just get away with dedicating a section of their life. If they put their quote on Facebook, then they're, they're good. If I go to church once a week, I'm good. I've dedicated a section of my life to God. 
But purity, holiness before the Lord encompasses your entire life. When we live on the altar, it's not like we can keep our hand outside of the altar and be like, well, this part's not burned. I'll just keep that side out. It's not a part of our lives, but all of our lives. What kind of movies do you allow yourselves to watch? What kind of music do you listen to? Do you realize there's, when you become a Christian, there is no part of your life that cannot be touched by Jesus Christ. There is not one section of your heart that can be kept from God. It's either all of you or none of you. How do you treat Christians of the opposite sex when you're in youth group? Some of us, and I know there's some people here, and I'm not pointing people out, but some of you guys especially like to hug uh, the ladies a little bit too long. And you linger there. Why? Because you're awkward. And why? Because you don't respect any of your Christian sisters. And that's why people always make fun of me because I don't hug anyone. Like, I especially don't hug any of you people. But that's not because I'm just like, I don't, I am weird. <laughs> but it's because I respect you guys. I don't want to take advantage of you guys. And don't let anyone, especially you ladies, pay attention. Don't let any guy take advantage of the space that God's given you. And some of you do. Some of you, you know, post pictures on Facebook and you dress in a certain way and let people take advantage of you. But God has created you special and no one should be able to take advantage of that. What do you allow yourself to see on the internet? Maybe some of us don't look at specifically porn, but some of us are looking at people's Facebook photos way too long or Instagram photos or you'll find a website where it's not really exactly porn but because people are dressed inappropriately you feel like it's okay. Luke chapter 8 verse 17 Jesus said all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Doesn't it seem impossible sometimes? How can you really keep yourself pure for Jesus, by his standards, not by our own standards and what we deem appropriate, but by the standards of God, how do we keep ourselves holy? How do we even know that this is what God really wants from us? How do we know that God wants us to be pure in the first place? Isn't that something that youth group pastors just kind of throw out there? No. I'll give you proof. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. It says, for this is the will of God, what? Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is, in a, is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Pay attention. Listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. A couple things there. Is there anything that separates you from your friends that aren't Christians in this regard of purity? Do you act just like your friends that aren't Christian? Those of you that are in relationships, do you act in a relationship just like anyone does in the world. Because the Bible specifically says that you, the will of God is that you would abstain from sexual immorality. And when you reject this, it's not rejecting man's rules. This is rejecting God's rules. 
and that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother or sister, I should say. Whatever you do, don't stir up love until it pleases, Song of Solomon says. Some of us are so in a rush to get in a relationship, so in a rush to get married or whatever, because you don't want to be left out. Or because you feel like that's the part of your life that you're missing. But don't stir up love until it pleases. I think a lot of people, especially those of you that are growing up in the church right now, you have this temptation of saying, well, I don't think purity is really that big of a deal. Or maybe it's okay to, to fall in this aspect or in that aspect. And you'll look at some of these standards people have and you think they're ridiculous. Like the people that are like, I'm not going to kiss my wife until we get married or kiss my girlfriend until we get married. And they're like, oh my gosh, how can you do that? It's just so ridiculous. And then someone's like, oh, that's not that big a deal. And so it's like, we're not going to hold hands until we're married. We're not going to text each other until we're married. Like, that's so stupid. That's so ridiculous. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't do at this point. What I am saying to you, though, is do you have any standards? My youth pastor said, if you don't have a standard, you're going to break them. You're going to fail. If you don't purpose in your mind, I am going to abstain from sexual immorality, it's going to happen. Why? Because you're going to follow whatever happens or whatever's most dominant in your mind. And if your, your want for pleasure is going to be the most dominant trait in your mind, it's, you're going to follow after that. So how do, you, how do you follow after Christ? How do you stay pure? Soren Kierkegaard was a philosopher who once said, purity of heart is to desire one thing. To be single-minded, to desire one thing. And I think in order to be pure before the Lord is to desire Jesus. To not give in to the world's desires and its demands is to desire Christ. So be a zombie. Be dead to the world, but be alive to Christ and follow after him. Secondly, we have in this uh, second verse, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Secondly, your first of all is to be a zombie, a Jesus freak zombie. And secondly, be an alien. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was just thinking of like an alien abducting you and he brainwashes you and your mind's just like whoosh. And you come back down and you're like a completely different person. Do that. Except not really. I want you to be brainwashed. That's just dumb. What, I, what am I trying to even say with that? I know. It says in my notes. It says the world system will always try to squeeze you into this ungodly pattern. The world system always tries to trick you into desiring certain things that you really shouldn't desire. But it must be resisted. That only happens by letting your mind be transformed from the inside out. To think differently. You have to get rid of these desires that are in our hearts in the first place. You have to get rid of this uh, inappropriate way of viewing the world, that the, mind, that the world has changed uh, all of our minds. Increasingly, I think we're seeing Christians desiring to, to be cool, to be hip, to fit in, and still be a Christian and still have changed lives. It just doesn't work. You will see these hipster churches, and I've been to a couple of them, where you have people, everyone's just dressed nice, and it kind of makes you feel weird because you, you walk in, and everyone's like a supermodel and everyone's like, just makes you feel awkward because you're like, 
I don't, I don't fit in. I, don't, I need to start dressing well to be accepted by Jesus. And it's not true. And it's not wrong to have cool things. It's not wrong to dress nice. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not wrong to have coffee shops and to make movie references in your sermons and, and whatever and try to get engaged the culture. But I don't think anyone's ever not gone to church because the church wasn't cool enough. I don't think anyone's stayed away from our church because it's like, it's, it's just not cool. I'm not coming to Jesus. But there are a lot of other things that prevent people from coming to Jesus. If we're believers in Christ, this world isn't our home. We're just aliens. We're strangers, foreigners in this land, passing through, belonging to a different world. Uh, Skip Heidzik had this illustration, which I thought was really powerful. I heard him say the other week. He said, if you're in an airport and you have to use the bathroom, but you're in the middle of going somewhere else, let's say you're going to California, you leave Newark Airport, going to California, and you use the bathroom, and while you're in the bathroom, you're like, wow, this bathroom's dirty. Start cleaning it up. You ask, like, the custodian if you can help him clean up the bathroom, and you're like, you know what? This urinal would go great on that corner. And then you just move the urinal, and then you're, like, remodeling the entire bathroom. Wouldn't you be really dumb? You'd be really dumb if you tried to redecorate the, the bathroom in the airport. Why? Because you're just passing through. In the same way, we're just passing through this life. So why do we try to hold on to anything in this world as if we're going to live here forever? You're not. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus, or God said, which is Jesus by, you know what I'm saying. You shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Why did he say that? He said that to the Israelites to not walk into the customs of the pagan world. You see all these really weird laws in Leviticus and they're like, you know, not to share these certain threads and not to eat these rabbits that have like, like hooves and, and you're like, what's the point of all this? The point was for the Israelites to be a separate people from the pagan nations. But oftentimes Christians just blend right in. Does your life stand out in the generation that you live in? Can people tell that there's something different about you? Because if, really, if you really are transformed, you're going to be a misfit in this world. You're never really going to find your home here because it's not your home. You're an alien living in a strange land. And at the same time, even though we're aliens, a lot of us try to fit ourselves in the mold that the world has for us. If only I looked this way, if only I did this, or if only I dressed this way, or people appreciated me, then I would be what? I would be accepted, I'd be loved, I'd be getting everything I'm really looking for. And if you don't think this is you, I mean, here's the test. How many of us get dressed in the morning thinking, does this shirt please the Lord? Will God really like my dress today? Will he like my skirt? None of us think that. Why? Because you dress to please other people. You don't dress to please God. Well, hopefully you do. But realistically, when we're buying clothes, we're not buying clothes thinking of what God thinks about our clothing. We're buying clothes thinking of what everyone else well, think about our clothing. Unless you're me, in which case I just bought this because I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I bought this like in October. And I, was, I didn't even know why I bought it. I was just like, there has to be a purpose for this sometime. And it has like towel lining to it. It's supposed to be like a bathing suit. There's like shorts that come with it. And he's just like, it's a great idea. Like, especially if you need a towel, you just kind of put it on. Anyway. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, 
It says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. How many of us thought that it wasn't even in the Bible that you're supposed to raise your hands in worship? Hmm. Lifting up holy hands without wrath, wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with what? He says, clothe yourselves with good works. Paul says here, for both men and women not to adorn yourselves with clothing that's fancy, and it's not anything against pearls, and not anything against braided hair, because some of you would be like, oh my gosh, it says, because if that was the case, then we'd have that awkward situation where there's that passage in the Bible that says, it's an embarrassment for men to have long hair. And I was like teaching it with long hair one time for junior high. Like, ah, no, let me explain. I'm not sinning. He's talking about the cultural custom at that time. So that's how you have to read it. And you have to ask yourself, what is drawing attention to our bodies in this day and age? It might not be gold. It might not be pearls. It might not be braided hair. But what is drawing attention to our bodies in this day and age? And I think you guys know that to be true for yourselves. If you have to second guess it, it's usually wrong. That's what I think. Let each be convinced in his own mind. In the animal kingdom, all the animals that look the prettiest, that have the most colors, especially the reptiles, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with the ones that have the most colors or the flashiest animals? They're poisonous. They have venom. Looks can be deceiving. In the Garden of Eden, the fruit looked really good. Otherwise, Eve wouldn't eat it. Just because things look good doesn't mean that they're good inside. And so if you're trying to pitch yourself, especially you ladies and you men as well, that dress yourselves to please other people, realize that people are only going to buy what you're selling. And so I'm not here to give you a a modesty, you know, guilt trip. Because everyone knows where the standard is and everyone knows where the line is. I'm not going to single anyone out. But if you really want to be in a relationship where someone loves you for what, what's on the inside, and you hear this all the time, it's not just from me. If you want to attract someone that will love you for who you are, you need to be working on your character and not be so worried about how you look. You need to be, you need to be developing your good works, your godliness. If all we do is focus on the outward, we're going to be like the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You know, Jesus himself was not attractive outwardly. It says in Isaiah chapter 53 that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now pay attention to this. Jesus was not attractive on the outside, but in human history, there has never been a man that attracted more people than Jesus Christ by his character. Be a zombie. Be an alien. What do I mean by that? Be a zombie. Be dead to the world, alive to Christ, continually offering yourself on the altar, being an alien, living in this world, but it's really not your home. You're just passing through. So we're not going to obey those customs. We're not going to like try to fit in. If you're an alien, you're going to look weird anyway. So who cares what people think? You want to please God. Finally, be an Olympian. It says in verse, uh, second half of verse two, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
You might be scratching your head at this moment like I am. How is an Olympian a freak? What do you mean by that? Well, here's my point. You can be someone participating in the Olympics and be completely ugly, completely like repulsive. You like, look like a monster, but still be the best athlete. The Olympics is not biased according to how you look. It just matters how you perform. Olympians prove with their lives that their hard work pays off. They prove with what they do and their rewards that all the training they went through was really worth it. A lot of sports fans love to talk about winning strategies. And you guys that love sports or love uh, exercising, you love to talk about different kinds of like uh, diets and supplements and training techniques, exercise programs. But no matter how good your strategy may be, no one's going to believe it if your life isn't a good example. Like you always see those like out of shape people that are coaches. And you're like, how did they ever get to be a coach? And he's talking about his diet. And you're like, you really need to drop some weight. And you're like, look at you. And you're like, this hypocrite over here. I had uh, this one friend. He's still kind of my friend who told me to get better at climbing. I have to drink one gallon of milk a day, whole milk. He's like, I'm telling you, man, you'd be so much stronger if you drank one gallon of milk a day. I'm like, look at you. Like, <laughs> it's like, I wasn't trying to like toot my own horn, but like, he's like not that good. So for him to give this, and then he gives all this other advice. He's like, <laughs> cause I'd be like, no one else does that. Like all the professional athletes don't brag about how they're drinking one gallon of milk a day. He's like, but what if they did? Think about how much stronger they could be. And I just like, shut up you. Yeah. This is why professional athletes are paid for advertising because people want a winning strategy. So similarly, as your life is transformed on the inside, your life on the outside is to be proof that God's ways are perfect. Does your life resemble a, a person who's winning or losing? Do you show with your life that God's ways really are best? Those of us that are keeping ourselves for marriage, are you proving that God's way is best? Or are you just kind of like, oh, I keep myself pure because the Bible tells me to. I'm not drinking because the Bible says you shouldn't drink. I'm respecting my parents because the Bible tells me to. And we're just kind of going through life like we're oppressing all of our desires. Is that the kind of life that we're going to live? Or are we going to say, I don't drink because I think it's stupid. And I've watched a lot of people die. I've watched, I've watched a lot of family members walk away from Jesus due to alcohol. And I think it's dumb. Why do you drink alcohol? Oh, because I, I feel awkward if I don't have something in my hand when I'm at a party. Really, like these are the reasons why, but just because Christians are in the minority, we feel like we have to give a defense. I'm like, well, I, I really wish I could, but I just, I just can't. I really wish I could kiss my girlfriend, but I can't because the Bible tells me I shouldn't kiss a girl. I can't kiss anybody, really. I can't kiss my mom. It's annoying. This is a huge task, isn't it? For your life to be an example to all unbelievers and even other believers. But listen, I'm, I'm holding myself to the same standard that you are. I can't be looking at porn if I'm preaching, you guys, preaching to you guys that you shouldn't be looking at porn. I can't be drinking if I'm telling you guys that I shouldn't be drinking. And you don't have to think that I'm a hypocrite because I don't do that stuff. And why? Because I've been through that stuff. I know it's dumb and I think it ruins lives and I'm over it. And hopefully it'll never happen to me again. But if I was, you kick me out of ministry. Why? Not because you feel bad, but because I'd be a hypocrite. So Christians should example by their lives 
that God's ways are really the best way to live life. I think it shouldn't be a surprise when Christians accomplish great things for the name of God. When Christians do things and it looks good. When they do, when they make Christian music and it's good music. And it's not just good Christian music, it's good music. Well, oftentimes it's the opposite. It's like, oh, well, Christian music isn't that great. Or Christian arts is kind of boring. We have to have our own genre just to compete with the world. But if we really serve an awesome God, we should act like it. You know what happens when you lose your awe of an awesome God? What do you have? Take awe out of awesome. What do you got? You just got some God. That's what my youth pastor always told me. Very clever. Do we serve some God or an awesome God? If you really do serve an awesome God, you should be in awe of God. And let that awe transform your life. So in conclusion today, as we end... A paraphrase of these two verses by J.B. Phillips says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but, God, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Be a zombie, dead to the world, alive to Christ. Be an alien, be a stranger in this world. You don't really belong here, you're just passing through. And be an Olympian. Let your life prove that God's ways are perfect. Why don't we do this? Why don't we allow ourselves to be Jesus freaks? I think one reason might be because we're afraid of change. I was afraid of change for a very, very long time. In fact, that's why I stayed in Old Bridge for so long. Because I didn't want to miss out on what I had. You know, I didn't want all, any of my friends to leave and go away to college and move and, and get jobs and get married. And I liked what we had going on at youth group. And I just didn't want anything to change. I was always afraid of things changing. I think it could be in little things and the big things. Some of us are afraid of being in relationships. We're afraid of change. Changing a certain relationship and viewing it a different way. But no matter who you are, no one wants to be marginalized. No one wants to feel like they're left out. It's just the way it is. No one wants to be treated like a freak. You see in the, the news and you hear on the radios, you have like uh, artists like Macklemore writing whole songs to how beautiful same-sex marriage is and the church's got it wrong and we're basing all of our beliefs on a Bible that's written uh, 3,500 years ago and it's like wrong first of all but he says it's so outdated and what's the point in it and this is the stuff that everyone's hearing and wants to fall after and these things once they pick up momentum it's not like it suddenly drops and they're like well I'm done with that it's like gay is no longer cool and we're just going to move on this stuff keeps the momentum until they squash out any resistance any Christians that would oppose their views and this is what you see increasingly, that Christians are the marginalized ones. You know, this whole thing started by people being like, oh, the poor people over there, they're just so, I mean, there were terrible things done to them. Don't get me wrong. But people often view that group and then they look at Christians and say, you really shouldn't do this. And you take all the Bible-believing people and you fit them in a box because we're misfits anyway and we're never going to fit into the world's standards. So why do we try? Why do we try so hard to package Christianity 
in this cool kind of way that appeals to people. I think that uh, no matter what you do, Christianity is always going to be uncool. Why? Because it's at odds with the values of this world. Christians are always going to be misfits. You're never going to feel like you belong in this world. But the difference is, you may be rejected by the world, but you are accepted in Christ Jesus. Let that be your motivation. Some of you are afraid to change. Some of you are afraid of being an outcast, standing up in youth group and also in the world. I get that. I understand that. I'm right there with you. But realize if we don't do something about it, we're going to be marginalized until we're all gone. And what's going to happen to Christians? What's going to happen to the name of Jesus? What's going to happen to the gospel? If we don't do something about it and we don't practice a habit of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, not just for some Christians, but for every single person who calls himself a believer in Christ Jesus, we need to be living on the altar of sacrifice and saying, God, whatever you have for me, I don't care how I look. I'm a stranger in this land anyway. And by living that kind of life, everyone around you is going to see that testimony. A person who stands out in the crowd, a person who's a misfit, but their life is so full of joy, full of peace. How is that even possible? Why? Well, it's because you're living by God's ways and God's ways are perfect. And there's nothing that an imperfect person can do that will be better than the perfect way of God. It just will never happen. If God's got a perfect plan for your life, anything you do that's different from the perfect plan is going to be imperfect. So you don't have to like hope and be like, well, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm told not to do these things. You don't have to be like that. You'd be like, I know this way is better and I don't need what you got because Jesus himself accepts me as his beloved. Even if I don't, if I'm not accepted by anyone else, it's okay because I have my Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters to me. I don't care if I look like a dork by the way I dress. I don't care if like people think that I'm being old-fashioned because I'm not dressing in a way that appeals to the culture. If I'm not putting stuff on Facebook or on Instagram that appeals to the culture, I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm not trying to get people's approval anyway. I'm just passing through. 